In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. And so anyone know who this is in the picture? <laughs> Aside from me on the side. Who did we just talk about today? St. John the Shore. Okay, so this is one of my most favorite scenes. And I think it's no coincidence that we commemorate his life when we read this specific passage. Okay, so today the Pharisees make some accusations against Christ, right? And his final response is beautiful. He says, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right, so today we celebrate the life of a saint who crushed demons by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of humility, the Spirit of obedience. Okay, and he healed the sick, he, he raised the dead, um, in one story, he even cast out a demon by his bath water. After he took a bath, used the water, anointed the man who was demon-possessed, and cast out the demon. Right? So, he definitely had the upper hand. <laughs> he lived with this authority, the authority of the Spirit of God. Right? So, the life of St. John the Short is incredibly beautiful, and it's convicting. Right? So, his life is documented by Zacharias of Sacha. He's from the 8th century. And uh, there's a beautiful book about his life called The Holy Workshop of Virtue. Okay, Evagoras says, In fact, it is more proper to refer to him as John the greatest of monks. He lived his solitary life in a ditch and would remain unmoved in his communion with God even while the demon wrapped himself around him in the form of a great serpent that squeezed his flesh and vomited in his face. And so, Zacharias of Sacha even says, He was a perfect human being, the measure of the full stature of the perfection of Christ, which is in Ephesians 4.13, who created him according to the image of the living God. And we heard in the story of the Synexarium, whenever John was ordained as a priest, the heavenly hosts were chanting, Axios, Axios, Axios. So this wasn't just an ordinary man. The heavens were calling this man worthy. Okay, Abba Memo on his deathbed told his fellow monks, take and keep him, for he's an angel and not a man. So how did this man become an angel? How did he, he become such a great saint that the heavenly hosts would chant, worthy, worthy, worthy? So I want to just highlight seven lessons from his life that can teach us about how we can develop into a saint like St. John. And this was hard to do because there are hundreds of lessons that we can take from his life. But we'll just go through seven quick, quick lessons and then hopefully that will leave us with a, a message that we can walk away with. Right? So the Synexarium says his parents were righteous and God-fearing, rich in faith and good deeds. And a lot of times we hear that part of the Synexarium in the beginning, and we just brush right over it, right? Like it's not a big deal. Oh yeah, he had some good parents, right? But tell me how many 18-year-olds do you know are dying to go to the monastery and to give their whole life to God as a monk? This was St. John. When he was 18 years old, he went straight to the monastery and begged Ava Benma to take him as a disciple, right? Where did he get that passion from? Where did he get that fire from? 
It was from his family, from his parents, the way he was raised. The way St. John was raised made him. Okay? And he also had an older brother, by the way. And uh, he was older and taller. St. John was the shorter, smaller one. Right? But his brother also became a saint. Like he consecrated his life as a monk as well. And so you always see this. Saints come in clusters and it begins in the family. St. Porphyria says, become saints and you'll have no problems with your children. Become saints and you'll have no problem with your children. Right? And all his parents did was just live a holy life. They didn't teach him lessons. We don't really hear about what they taught him. I'm sure they told him a lot, but all we see in the cynic serum, his parents were righteous and God-fearing, rich in faith and good deeds. Their model, the way they lived, is what produced this, this saint. So the first lesson is that saints develop in godly homes by godly parents. Right? And now let's look at the foundation of his life. Okay? Abba John had one objective. From the very beginning of his life, he had one objective. <clears throat> and that was to become clay in the hands of his elder. That was his ultimate objective. I just want my elder to mold me. I'll do whatever he tells me. Right? And you see this from the way he approached Abba Bemwa. John knelt before Abba Bemwa and asked him to allow him to stay with him. And what did Abba Bemwa tell him in response? He said, sure, come on. Like, I, I would love a disciple that can grab my food and water. You know, I've been working on this practical joke. I want to play on someone and send them out to plant a, a dead tree or a dead log. So, you know, I can try that on someone. No. He's like, this isn't for anyone. Like, this is a hard life. And you're going to struggle. You're, you're going to bear a very heavy burden. So, I doubt this is for you. How did John respond? John was firm in his intention and told him, do not send me away for God's sake because I came to be in your obedience and prayers. And that's the, the key word right there. John was firm in his intention. What was his intention? To be discipled. To surrender to an elder. To say, you tell me what to do. Do not send me away for God's sake because I came to be in your obedience. How many run to obedience? How many run to just crucify their will and to say, I want no will of my own, you tell me what to do. Right? But this was his life and this is what made John such an amazing saint. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we're committed to this spirit of discipleship under the guidance of our elder, and hopefully we at least have an elder. <laughs> so we don't even have an elder, then you know, we have a long way to go, but we need to start there. Okay? And the second lesson is that saints develop through discipleship. This is what we learn from the life of St. John. Okay? Another unique quality about his life is that St. John had some really good friends. Okay? He actually lived with St. They They shared the same cell. Okay, a lot of people don't know that. But they shared the same cell. And he wrote the biography of St. Peshoy. And this is what he writes in the beginning of the biography. He says, I, the humble John, who wrote the present narration, remained with Peshoy in the same cell, 
For we were of the same mind and we practiced the same life and diet according to the canon we received from our spiritual father, strengthening each other in the faith and striving together for the salvation of our souls. How beautiful is that? He aligned himself with another holy friend. And he said, we had the same mind. We even had the same diet. Right? You'll always notice this among the saints, that they're surrounded by good company. Right? And for us to walk with God, we need other people who are also walking with God. And so the third lesson that we can learn from St. John is that saints develop through friendships. And not just any sort of friendship, but holy friendships. Saints develop through holy friendships. And we can learn a lot from his obedience whenever they had to separate from each other because Abba John had to leave St. Peshoy. And you can only imagine whenever you're living with such a close friend and then all of a sudden you have no one. Right? And he was grieved. He was very sad to leave St. Peshoy. But a lot of us will go through these seasons whenever we have good friends and whenever we have no one. But for John, it was better to live with God alone than to surround himself with bad company. Right? And that's such an important lesson for us. Because when we say surround yourself with good friends, that's not an easy matter. Right? It's not like you can go shopping for holy friends. Right? Like, you don't go to the store and just purchase a good friend. <laughs> so, it requires work. It requires God's providence. It requires a lot of circumstances to fall in place. Right? It's not easy. And that's why we go through seasons when we have good friends and seasons when we really don't. And, and that's fine. We need to walk according to the will of God and prioritize that even when it's going to cost us that, that season of loneliness or the, the time whenever we're not really surrounded by the type of people we would like, right? But this, this third lesson is very important, that saints develop in holy friendships. All right, so a lot of us know about the story of St. John's obedience when he went to plant this dead branch. It's literally just a walking stick, right? And... Abba Benwa instructs him to go water this dead branch 12 miles away from the monastery. And so we'd have to go to the well to grab the water and then walk those 12 miles, right? And how long did he do this for? For three years, right? It, it wasn't easy. It required serious faith, serious obedience, serious work, serious labor, right? We all know that story and we all know how it turns out, right? After his perseverance, working every day, and he would do this throughout the night, just leaving at the end of the day and coming back the very next morning. And so he would do this until eventually, what happens? It bears fruit, right? We all know that story. But what's interesting is that a while later, when Abba Bimwa is taking his very last breath, when he's on his deathbed, he tells Abba John, when I depart, go and dwell at the place where you planted the tree of obedience. Right? And so St. John is already like, situated, he's living in this place. 
And he already did all this work for three years to plant this tree out in the middle of nowhere. And like, you're right about to die. Okay, like, my relationship with you is pretty much over. Like, when you're gone, I don't have to listen to you anymore. <laughs> like, give me a break, man. But he says, when I depart, go and live where you planted this tree. What does St. John do? Hadr. And he went all the way out there and established himself at that place. He was willing to work from the very beginning to the end of his life. Right? And so that's what that spirit of discipleship is all about. It, it, it was a commitment to his elder even while his elder departed from this life. That's just amazing. Because that spirit lives on. It's not dependent on a single figure. It's an actual spirit that we have. A spirit of discipleship. Okay? And so it requires work to have that spirit of discipleship. And John always put in the work. Right? We know the story whenever he first went to the monastery. And, like he just wanted to pray and fast all day long. And you know, have all night vigils and praise God. And he was in the church. Everybody goes to do the rest of their work. He's like, where are you guys going? Like, we're supposed to be monks and to pray and stuff. They're like, well, we have to go work. He's like, well, I didn't come here to work. I came here to pray. <laughs> and so they just left him there. And he was praying. A day or two go by. And finally, St. John's like starving. So he goes to Abu Benwa, knocks on his door. And he says, you know, I need someone to bring me some food. He's like, what, who are you? He's like, I'm John. He's like, oh, there was a John that came a while ago, but he became like one of the angels and doesn't need to eat anymore. We are men and we need to work and eat. So he learned from the very beginning of his life that the spiritual walk is also physical, right? Like there's work, there's labor. Right? Whenever Abba Bemma was sick for the last 12 years of his life, he was in a very terrible condition. And so, St. John would serve Abba Benwa for 12 years. And it's recorded in his story that not once did Abba Benwa thank St. John. For 12 years serving this man. Not once did he just get a thank you. <laughs> it's a bit rough. But... St. John just put in the work out of his love, out of his faithfulness, and he did it joyfully, right? Like his motives were pure. I'm not doing this for the gratitude I'll receive. I'm not doing this for the praise. I'm not doing this for the flattery. And so the fourth lesson that we can take from his life is that saints develop through labor, through labor and endurance, real work, it takes years. It doesn't just happen overnight. We heard in the story of the Synexarium whenever Abba Bemwa expelled him from his cell. Right? He says, get out of this cell. You're not fit to be a monk. And so what did St. John do? He went in front of Abba Bemwa's cell and just prostrated himself right there. Every time Abba Bemo would walk out of his cell and walk past St. John, he would mock him and strike him with a palm branch. Okay, and this happened day after day after day after day. How would St. John respond? 
forgive me, I've sinned. Sin, like for what? <laughs> what did you do wrong? Like, خُدْ you know, like defend yourself. Like you don't deserve this. But in his art, he knew that he wasn't worthy. He knew that he was a sinner. And he wasn't pretending. He, he recognized that reality. I am a sinner. And so that's what he would say, forgive me. And day after day, he would do this for a week until finally what happens? On the seventh day, the old man went out of church and saw an angel with a crown, placing it on the head of Abba John. And so the fifth lesson is that saints develop through that sort of humility, that self-forgetfulness. He humbled himself before his elder. And that's what made St. John, St. John. St. John lived a liturgical life. Okay? And that's why all the heavenly mysteries were revealed to him. Like when he would go to pray the liturgy, he would actually see the Spirit descending upon the bread and the wine, converting them into the body and the blood of Christ. Every liturgy, he would see this. And he would also see those who were approaching the liturgy, and God would reveal to him who was worthy to partake of the Eucharist, and who was not worthy to partake of the Eucharist. Again, he would see an angel that is standing right next to the communion, right next to the Eucharist. And so, this angel would guard the mysteries. And this is what would happen. Zechariah of Sacca's recording, he says, John looked out among the brothers and saw an angel of the Lord standing in their midst with a drawn sword in his hand. If anyone spoke at all among the brothers or thought of unsuitable things, the angel would threaten him with the sword of fire, wishing to strike him. But the prayers of our Father and the goodness of God would prevent him, awaiting his repentance. So the angel would stand there. If anyone's messing around, if anyone's not taking the liturgy seriously, if anyone is just not prepared or like this story mentions, just has a bad thought, <laughs> the angel would go to strike him. And then St. John's like, wait, hold on, hold on, like, chill out, it's, it's okay. Like, be a little patient. And he would pray, right? But that was the responsibility of the angel, to protect the mysteries, right? Like, you, you don't squander these precious jewels to anyone who doesn't value them, Right? And, and the angel was instructed to do that. And we have an angel present at every liturgy to do that. At the end of the liturgy, we say, Oh, the angel of the sacrifice flying up with his hymn, Remember us before the Lord that he may grant us the forgiveness of our sins, as we proclaim with the angel saying, Glory to God in highest. And then we dismiss that angel. He's present. It's not just an illusion. Right? And so the angel would guard the mysteries this way, and John would see this and even pray for the people's sake. Okay? And of course, that's not all. There was a better side to that as well. Right? It goes on to say, As for those who stood among the brothers, silent with fear and trembling and soberness, paying attention in church without any earthly thought, our Father would see the beams of light from the splendor of the Lord's face coming from the holy altar, 
entering the heart and soul of each one of the holy brothers, filling them with the knowledge of the Holy Trinity. How beautiful is that? The sixth lesson that we can learn from the life of St. John is that saints develop through devotion to the liturgy, through a spirit of commitment and seriousness to the liturgy. Without the Eucharist, John would not become the great St. John the Short. No way. Right? But, but this is what molded him, and this is what molds all of the saints. Right? We know the story of his love and his compassion whenever he went to save St. Paisa, right? And, you know, I want to just be mindful of the time, so I'm not going to mention the entire details of the story, but we know he went out and wept before her, brought her back, and, and she repented and so on, right? There's another part of his story that reveals the divine love in St. John's heart, right? And I think this is a part of his life that we really don't know. And it kind of bothered me a little bit when I read in the Synexarium that when the barbarians came, what did he do? He fled. I'm like, St. John? Like, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with the, the whole story. Like, I, I imagine someone like... St. Moses the Black, where he dedicated his life to God, and in a spirit of humility, all he wants to do is to sacrifice his life in an actual martyrdom. Right? And, and that's what St. Moses said. You know, he who takes life by the sword will also die by the sword, will perish by the sword. And he went to his own martyrdom. And the entire story of St. John's life basically reflects that same mindset, right? Like, no will of his own, pure love, pure humility, pure sacrifice. Like, why are you fleeing? It doesn't make any sense. But the Synexarium doesn't explain the actual reason, right? When he was questioned about the reason as to why he left, this is what he said. He responded saying, This barbarian... Even if he separated from me by faith, nevertheless is an image and creature of God in the same way that I am. If I resist this barbarian, he will kill me and will go to punishment because of me. What was he concerned about? The salvation of the man who would kill him. That just blows me away. That's a love I can't even understand. Like, there's no greater love than this, right? Like, but forget about going to this extreme, right? Like, what happens whenever we're driving, someone cuts us off? We go right back and we provoke them some more, knowing that what we do will provoke them in return. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we don't care who stumbles because of us or how people respond based on what we say or what we do. But... Saints cared about the salvation of others and how their life impacted others, even in the most indirect way. Anyone like St. John could have said, Tabunameli. It doesn't matter. Like, it's not my fault. He's going to decide to commit a crime. But if there's anything I can do about it, that I can be a source of salvation for that person, then I will go to live in a completely different place. 
And so the seventh and final lesson is that saints develop through sacrificial love. It's that love that made St. John, St. John. I pray that we could just meditate on his life. Those are just a few of hundreds of lessons that we can take away from his life. But I pray we just take time to meditate on his life and to apply that in, in a practical way. You know, St. John was an ascetic, but we can apply all of these ascetic disciplines into our life out here in the world that by his example we can follow him and glorify God unto him and do our glory forever. Amen.